Our Old Testament reading today is from Exodus 35. Moses said to all the congregation of the Israelites, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Let whoever is of a generous heart bring the Lord's offering, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and gems to be set in the ephod and the breastpiece. All who are skillful among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its coverings, its clasps and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases. The ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the curtain for the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the entrance, the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked vestments for ministering in the holy place, the holy vestments for the priest Aaron and the vestments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the Israelites withdrew from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and brought the Lord's offering to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the sacred vestments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches, and earrings, and signet rings, and pendants, all sorts of gold objects, everyone bringing an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or crimson yarn or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or fine leather brought them. Everyone who could make an offering of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's offering. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. All the skillful women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and crimson yarns and fine linen. All the women whose hearts moved them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and gems to be set in the ephod and the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women whose hearts made them willing to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with divine spirit 
with skill, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, in every kind of craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Oholiab, son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Don. He has filled them with skill to do every kind of work done by an artisan or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue, purple, and crimson yarns and in fine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of artisan or skilled designer. Bezalel and Oholiab, Oholiab, there we go, and every skillful one to whom the Lord has given skill and understanding to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. He looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put all she had to live on. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you're not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? God, would you be with us? We need your presence. Would you be with us? Would you bless us? Would you guide us? And may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and even pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. And so we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Thank you, Corey, for reading that long text. So on a one to 10 scale, how boring was that, right? The, uh, the reading from Exodus, it's like we read this book and the Bible is so old and we come across these sections where sometimes it's just like lists of materials and detailed instructions, sometimes in a detail that feels excessive. Uh, it's, it's so expansive. Guess what? That was just one thirteenth of that part. <laughs> Imagine if we read the whole thing. Uh, what in the world do we do with sections like this from the Bible? Well, if, if we were ancient readers coming across this ancient book and we realized that, that the book of Exodus, 13 of the last 16 chapters are devoted to the instructions and then the building of this tabernacle, which is like a temple tent that moves throughout the desert. If we were to come across that, we would realize instantly, oh, this is the important stuff. 
the, uh, the, the seemingly excessive detail is a signal that this part is really, really important in the mind of the author, and it is supposed to be important in the minds of the reader. So lest we just tune out, get too bored in the details, uh, let's take a moment to step back and instead of just, you know, sort of missing the forest through all of the, the trees, which are in this case like gemstones and brass rings and poles and acacia wood, let's step back and recognize that what we have here is a very detailed text about something very important and the detail actually matters. Now, the series that we're doing this Epiphany season, Epiphany is the season after Christmas, but before we get to Lent, the series we're doing is, uh, is this series that focuses on the presence of God. And what we're doing is we're basically talking about, okay, at Christmas, we celebrated God's coming to be with us in Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, right? God coming to be present with us in a new way, in the miracle of Christmas. And what we're doing now is almost like saying, well, but that wasn't the first time God came to be with his people. That was the culmination of a long story that began long ago and began to find its fullness in Jesus. And so what we're doing now is essentially diving into the prequel or the, the backstory of Emmanuel. And we're tracing the story of God's presence through the Old Testament from creation uh, and through the exodus to the wilderness wanderings. And so far, we've talked about how God has created a world to be the arena of God's presence, that God's created humanity for us to be present with him in the world. We're created for God's presence. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, being redeemed for God's presence as God called his people out of captivity in Egypt and brought them through the sea and to the mountain of God's presence at Sinai, to be restored to God's presence. And what we get here is at that same mountain, we're still at Sinai in this part of the story, God gives these really elaborate instructions for building this thing called the tabernacle, which is to be uh, a new way that God will be present with his people in the world. He's gonna live in this tent. And he gives them very specific instructions about how to prepare the place of God's presence. And so today we're talking about preparing, preparing for God's presence. Now take a moment to think with me about your own preparations in life. What do you prepare for? And what do you do to prepare? So in one sense, we prepare for particular appointed times that we expect to be significant, right? So maybe you have a job interview coming up, or maybe you have a hot date, Right? Or maybe you have an, a vacation that's long overdue and you're so excited about it and you're just like going over the itinerary over and over and over again. This is what I do when I have a vacation coming up. I love the anticipation. I love the preparation. So we, we, there are moments that we expect in the future that are coming that we realize call forth from us some kind of showing up in a prepared way that if we show up in a prepared way at that appointed time, big performance, job interview, whatever. The way we show up will be better if we prepare. What we will have to contribute in that moment will be better. And what we will probably get out of that moment or receive from it will be better. So we prepare because we expect this appointed moment, this time to be significant. 
But we prepare for other things too and, and in different ways, right? So like it's, it's not just the job interview or this moment that we can, we can circle on the calendar, but we also prepare for things like graduation or retirement or health in old age or things like that. Or you maybe you prepare for marriage or you prepare for whatever it is. And seasons of life, it's not like an appointed moment, but some longer era, some bigger thing that you see yourself growing up toward and recognize, ah, the habits that I take on in the present will very much shape how it goes for me in the future, right? And so we save for retirement, or you meet with a financial planner, or you study at school as you anticipate graduation, or you work hard in the early stages of your career so that you set yourself up on a trajectory for an arc that goes somewhere in your career. That's where you want to go. So we prepare both for these appointed times and for these future seasons with great intentionality and in different ways, right? Um, and what I want us to see as we, as we think about our own preparing is that we prepare for what we think is going to be important. And if we want to understand ourselves better, what do I really value? What do I really trust in for my future? What do I think is important? I think if we do a little audit of our preparing, all the preparations we invest in, we'll discover in our actions what we think is really important. And what I think this passage that we get into today, this little episode around the tabernacle and God's instructions for his people and preparing the place of his presence, I think we get a window into the story of God's presence with his people that will help us think in a healthier way, in a more faithful way, about our own lives as preparers and what it might look like for us to bring our habits of preparation before the Lord and say, God, would you remake me as a person who prepares, as a person who anticipates the future, as a person who has real agency in my own life and invests it all the time in preparing for what is important, will you help me to value what you value? Will you help me prepare for what is important to you? So we're talking about preparing for God's presence, and we get this story of the tabernacle. So let's drop into the story for a minute. Israel is at Sinai, this mountain, um, and they've been delivered from Egypt. They've been brought through the sea. They've been brought into the wilderness. They've now been brought to this mountain of God's presence. And as I said before, we have these, like, the, of the last 16 chapters of the book of Exodus, 13 of them are devoted to these, the instructions for and the building of this tabernacle. Chapters 25 to 31 Give us the instructions. Chapters 35 to 40 record the actual building. So what is the tabernacle? Okay, it's like, a, well, it's a huge tent, essentially. Um, and it's, it's a portable temple. Um, it's made of a series of curtains and frames. There are lots of tent poles and curtain rings and intricate designs. Uh, there are furnishings. There are specific garments that people who work in this thing are going to need to wear. So if you want to imagine it, imagine a giant rectangle. The long edges of the rectangle are 150 feet, and the short edges of the rectangle are half as long, 75 feet. So you want to think of it as one long rectangle, or you could think of it as two 75 by 75 foot squares put next to each other to make one rectangle. 
okay? That's the outer perimeter of the tabernacle. Now, if you go inside the tabernacle, you get a smaller rectangle, 30 feet by 15 feet. That's the holy place. And within the holy place, you get a 15 by 15 foot square. That's the most holy place, okay? Um, and as we saw a couple weeks ago when Cindy introduced us to Genesis 2, what we saw there, it's the same blueprint as you get for Eden. When God creates Eden and in it puts a square garden, the dimensions of Eden and the dimensions of the tabernacle and later the temple match, okay? The construction of the tabernacle is a work of new creation that God is doing in the midst of the wilderness. And so there's a lot of preparation, okay? There's a lot of detail. And if you remember the creation story that was largely about God bringing order out of chaos and establishing this world of order and beauty and goodness, the precision of the measurements are to help us appreciate the precise order, the degree of control which God is actually ordering this space in the midst of a chaotic wilderness. God, once again, is bringing order out of chaos to live with his people, and God's people are to order their life together around this tent, tabernacle, which is to be at the middle of their camp. So there's lots of preparations, very specific, and what's interesting for us is the way these instructions are given. God gives Moses seven instructions each one beginning with the words, the Lord said to Moses. The first six instructions are about work, and the last instruction, the seventh, is about rest. Sound familiar? The days of creation. Six creative acts followed by a Sabbath rest. It mirrors the creation account that we get in Genesis 1. It mirrors the weekly rhythm of Israel's life that's supposed to be six days of work and one day of rest to reflect the character and the rhythm of their God. And so we see building of the tabernacle as this recreation act of God establishing order in the midst of chaos and reflecting the goodness of God's created world as all these beautiful materials are brought into the work of building this thing. So, so it's interesting, like the, the instructions that are given and the way they're given. It's also interesting, like what gets built and how. So we see that the shape of this thing is a reflection of Eden and Eden, a, um, you know, sort of a, a, a forward-looking shadow of, of this. The tabernacle, the tabernacle is a microcosm of creation itself, but this Eden moves. <laughs> it moves through the wilderness at the middle of God's people. So God has come to be present in a new way. And what's also interesting is the way that everyone among the people is involved in building it. The author goes to great lengths to, to underscore that it is the men and the women who build this thing. They all come together to contribute to its construction. And we also see that the way that the people respond is willingly and generously. It's a free will offering with which they come, right? It's the people who are stirred up by God who come and respond to that stirring with generosity, and they bring these most precious possessions to the work of preparing the place of God's presence. Why? Because it's the thing that they think is most important to do. It's the work that matters 
most. It's the investment that matters the most. We also see the way God specifically calls two individuals by name and sets them apart to lead the effort. Bezalel and Aholiab, he gives them a special gift of God's spirit to do the work of leading people and preparing the presence of the Lord. Okay, so what do we do with this? What does this have to do with us? Well, here's what we don't want to do with this, okay? Let's not try to read and into this text a bunch of straight lines that draw from this story to our lives in a direct way where we try to find Jesus under every gemstone and behind every curtain and brass ring. What we need to do is, is begin to actually locate this story of the tabernacle in the unfolding story of God's presence that finds its fullness in Christ and then begin to locate ourselves in the story in which this episode is an important episode and in which the moment we are living in is also an important episode. Let's find ourselves in the story. And when we do that, I think what we begin to discover is this, that with the tabernacle, God became present to his people in a way that he had not previously been present. And to do it, what God did was involve his people in preparing the place of God's presence. And so there were a few individuals who were especially called, like Moses, to be the mouthpiece, and Bezalel and Aholiab to be the project managers. There are a few who are given special jobs, but then there are all the people who came to contribute their time and talent and treasure needed to build this thing. And as we keep reading this story forward, what we see that in Jesus, again, as the story finds its fullness, we see God coming to be present with his people again in yet a previously, um, uh, what am I trying to say? In a, in a way that he had not yet been present. Um, and so he comes to be in Jesus, he comes to be present to his people as one of us, as a human being. And to do that even, God involves servants. His humble servant, Mary, who's given this unique honor of becoming the mother of God and bringing Jesus into the world. And Joseph, who obeyed the Lord and helped raise Jesus to adulthood. And so many others that we could name if we wanted to keep building that out. And what the gospel writer John says is that in, in Jesus, what did God do among us as the word became flesh? What, what happened? He tabernacled among us. You know, for those who know the verse, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we know that verse. Well, that, that word dwelled is the tabernacle word. God tented with us in Jesus. And what happened when God came to live with us and tabernacle among us in the tent of human flesh is this Jesus, he died and he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he poured out his spirit on his people to be present with us yet again in a new way, in an unprecedented way where God's spirit would be upon all of God's people. And this time what he did is he made his church, his people, his new tabernacle on earth. All of that to say, here's what the story has to do with us. In Christ and by his spirit, we are God's tabernacle on earth the church. 
That's what we are. So God has established the church, this community of people whose lives are now ordered around Jesus. He's established the church to be God's home on earth, to be the place of his presence, to be the intersection of heaven and earth, to be this outpost of order and beauty amid the chaos of the world. So let's locate ourselves if we are to be God's outpost of beauty and order amid the chaos of the world. What's the chaos of our moment, of our time and place? So many ways we could, we could describe the chaos of our time, right? You, you can put it in your own words. As I try to put it in my own words, I'll, here's a few. Um, we live in the chaos of chronically busy lives as Americans. We're chronically busy people. We're overscheduled. We're pulled in a thousand directions. And it's chaotic. We live in the chaos of political polarization and strife that makes meaningful conversations about almost anything feel impossible right now because warring camps are so entrenched and unwilling to dialogue. Chaos. We are one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest society in the history of the world and most of us are stressed out about not having enough. It's chaos. You could go on and on and on, right? We live in a chaotic world in which we run after money, we run after fame, we run, we're, we're distracted world, right? We're the most distracted generation probably in the history of humanity because we all are stuck in our phones all the time. What does it mean for us to live into our identity and calling to be an outpost of God's order and beauty amid the chaos of the world? God calls us to the work of preparing the place of his presence. Except this time, the place of God's presence isn't built with fabric and gemstones and tent poles and brass rings and acacia wood. It's built with our very lives. Transformed and incorporated into the community of Christ, set apart to be involved with God in what God is doing in the world. And God gives us instructions for preparing the place of his presence. What is the church to be? We're to be a house of prayer for all nations. What are we to be? We're, we're to love God and one another. We're to love one another as God has loved us in Christ. We're to forgive one another and to pray for one another, to encourage and exhort one another. We're to extend hospitality to the stranger and feed the hungry and free the oppressed and care for the widowed and orphaned and to seek justice for the poor. We're to love God with all of our heart and soul and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And God gives us every grace and every gift we need to prepare ourselves by his grace and power to be the place of his presence on earth. And as he provided the precious materials to Israel that he called forth from them for the construction of his tabernacle, God also provides for us and calls us to the generous giving and upbuilding of his church. 
And as God called Moses to deliver instructions for the, t- for the tabernacle, and as he called Bezalel and Aholiab to be its project managers, God in Christ has given gifts similarly to his church, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And just as all of the men and the women of Israel contributed to the building of the tabernacle, God calls his church to this every member ministry where we as members of one body give of our time and give of our talents and give of our treasure to prepare the place of God's presence and join God in the work that he's doing in the world. Not just as individuals who take it upon ourselves to self-select into the various efforts that we see as important. But as active members of the body of Christ who are involved in the communal work of discerning God's leading and investing collectively in the works God calls us to do. God is here. The Lord is nearer than we know. He's present to us. And God's active presence among us calls forth our active participation. It's not like God is somewhere else waiting for us to prepare a place that's fit for him to show up. God is present to us and inviting us to be present to him as well, calling us to prepare ourselves for the presence of the Lord who is already here. And so the invitation for us as we begin to sit with this text and think, okay, God, how would you transform my life through this story, and maybe even more specifically through an episode like this as we read it, refracted through the beauty of the prism of Jesus. How will you change us? What's the invitation? I think the invitation is this. Will we, as a church, will we prepare ourselves for worship and for times of prayer the same way we prepare with the, with the same amount of intentionality and anticipation or more Then we prepare ourselves for the other appointed times that we think are important. The hot date, the job interview, the big vacation. And when we plan for and when we invest in our spiritual growth and health, both individually and communally, with the same intentionality and anticipation with which we might prepare for graduation or retirement or lifelong health. We show up with the same level of intentionality that we show up in these other arenas of our lives. And when we listen to God's word and seek God's wisdom for our lives and trust God's gracious provision and receive the gifts he provides, and will we respond with gratitude and generosity to God's love and will we invest our lives in his mission of establishing heaven on earth as God involves us in the work of bringing beauty and order and wholeness and justice and peace out of the chaos of our inner lives and the chaos of our external world. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, rising early, going to bed late, and eating the bread of anxious toil, as the psalmist puts it. But the good news for us is that the Lord is here. His spirit is with us. His vision for our lives and our world is glorious. His commitment to stick with us through thick and through thin is steadfast and unwavering. And his gracious invitation to us 
is to be present to him as he is present to us, to be his co-workers in the most important work in the world, preparing ourselves and our world for the everlasting presence of God for which we are created and for which all things were made. Would you pray with me? God, be near to us and help us to be near to you. Remake us in your, in your image by your spirit. Give us grace to prepare in our hearts, in our church, and in our world a place for you to be present and to rule as our life-giving Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and for the gift of your spirit. Give us, give us grace and every gift we need to walk in your way of wisdom and love. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand if you are able, and let's confess our faith together by reciting the words of the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 11 of your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The prayers of the people are a time for us to come and bring all that we have and are before.